30 minutes to walk you through three different research uh, projects uh, that we've done recently uh, in Coffee Mine, Copenhagen uh, University and uh, SCAE. So I think I'll just uh, get started real quickly. Um, the three uh, research projects is uh, sensory analysis of coffee brewed on different water and we've already uh, talked about uh, that today a couple of times. We've got some results on that. Uh, another project that I uh, did on roasting defects uh, that I also presented last week at Nordic Roaster, but you'll just get the really brief version. And uh, then uh, finally, uh, the, my cappuccino foam uh, analysis uh, was uh, published uh, two months ago in Inter uh, International Dairy Journal, so that was a big thing, and my first publication as a first author. Um, and it, we've got some amazing results, and I'll just quickly walk you through them. So, um, yeah, quickly, Coffee Mind is uh, Ida, sensory scientist, me, uh, founder, external lecturer, all the things that uh, he just mentioned. And then I'm pretty involved with SCAE's um, uh, roasting uh, education, the certification system. I did it, and we are doing next improvement round on that at the moment. So a lot of the research is tied into improving the certification system to get some evidence to test people, because you cannot test people on rumors, you have to test people uh, on facts. So that's where that's uh, what the roasting defects project is uh, all about. Um, yeah, and then Torben um, is uh, our green coffee specialist. He's a plant biologist, did a PhD in microbiology and his postdoc in coffee uh, processing. So he's been working in Kenya and Brazil uh, on different types of uh, yeah uh, natural, uh, pulp natural and washed. Uh, uh, controlled fermentation and uh, Ida and I we did the uh, sensory analysis of these uh, processing. So we've uh, we met at the university actually, and th at the moment we are yeah doing even more uh, together. So this is Coffee Mind, education consultancy and research is uh, the main thing that uh, that we do. Um, yeah. So um, let's say we've got three samples. Uh, of something that needs to be evaluated because what we work with is uh, you know different things we can play around with but uh, uh, particularly we work with sensory science and sensory science is a particular discipline uh, discipline scientific discipline and I want to just quickly explain you what it is so let's say we've got three different samples that could this could be different uh, three different samples of the same coffee brewed on three different types of water or it could be different uh, roasting profiles so the, the question is, you know, if you taste it, uh, how can you, uh, you know, evaluate it and make a non-random, non-biased decision on which water is best or which roast profile is it that you want to go with? Because the problem is, if you just taste it, and you can see that in other presentations I've done, you've got, if you taste this first and then taste this, then there's something called carryover effect. And also, if you know what it is, there's cognitive bias. So there's a lot of different errors. And in, 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 in research design, there are two things that you do everything that you can to avoid, and that's bias and random uh, decisions. So how can you make a non-random decision? Well, first of all, you have to make it in triplicates to see if people are able to you know, make the same decision every time they are presented with the same sample. But it doesn't work you know, to just taste it in this sequence. It needs to be randomized so that all the different samples are not tasted in a particular sequence. And another thing is, the cognitive bias thing is that you are not allowed to know which you know, ground sample does this uh, uh, replicate come from. So there's a, a three-digit random number allocated to each sample. And then you've got uh, 10 assessors in a, a laboratory uh, analysis. 
And these assessors need to go through the samples in their own unique uh, sequence in order not to have a carryover effect. Um, if everybody just went the, the sequence in the same way, then the carryover effect would be the same for all of them. So it needs to be a unique sequence as well. And they need to then, in a, a laboratory setup, to assess 10, uh, 10 to 20 different descriptors per sample uh, on a, a 15 uh, centimeter uh, scale. That's how it works in, in sensory science. So what you can get from this is a result like we got on uh, when we uh, tested, we actually tap, uh, tested tap water and reverse osmosis and also different types of ion exchange uh, uh, filters. Brewed the same uh, three different coffees on all the different um, um, uh, waters, but we just took the tap water and the reverse osmosis. Uh, and you can see here uh, that uh, the coffees uh, taste consistently different uh, as a function of uh, different waters. And what you see here is p-values. These are uh, 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 the probability of the difference you see being a coincidence. And that's what you want to see in statistics. You want to see a value lower than 0.05. If there's a low, lower probability of this difference being a, a, a coincidence, then you accept it as scientific um, uh, significant. And then you've established that there is a difference. So you can see here how the reverse osmosis, uh, reverse osmosis um, uh, adds fruitiness and acidity um, uh, to, to most of the samples. I'm not going to, too much into the, uh, to the uh, results here, but uh, you can see that there is a difference. So it makes a difference if you evaluate uh, your, when you do the, your cupping, it makes a difference how your uh, coffee will uh, appear when you cup it. So uh, I would say that the, the water quality is part of your cupping protocol. And uh, you, sh well, I don't know if you should, or, but at least you could, you know, have different waters. Um, uh, and every time you make a decision, you, you make sure to brew uh, uh, all uh, samples on different waters to see, you know, how will this taste in, you know, in, on Iceland as opposed to Denmark or China or whatever, by knowing something about the water. So, and there's another spin-off thing, because once people are presented with the same uh, triplicate uh, or replicate uh, several times, scoring the same um, parameters, other than getting data on the samples, you can also get data on the individual assessor in the panel and see how well they were at uh, always making the same decision when they were presented with the same uh, you know, replicate uh, on the same parameter. And you can see here, um, Every dot here is a score on the 15 uh, centimeter scale uh, that they use to uh, um, uh, evaluate the samples. So here you can see this assessor, he's, he or she is pretty good at always you know, making the same decision when they are presented with the same sample uh, with regards to the same uh, sensory parameter. And then you can see the dotted line here is the panel average which is uh, considered the best estimate of the real taste of the, of the sample. And you can see some people are not very good at this. And, uh, and Ida, uh, my colleague Ida, she can make a, a full report of people's skills in this. So that's, that, that's uh, something we've done called sensory performance, where people uh, actually can get a very, very, very precise picture of their sensory skills. And we've done this with um, uh, beginners and we've done it with really skilled people and it, uh, the benefit is I would say equal on both of them So this was just to s tell you something about a sensory methodology and the potential you can uh, or the potential benefit Being you know if you evaluate the sample, but also individual skills of the individual couples 
So what we did, we did a research project also on um, roasting defects. And um, I announced this uh, two years ago um, uh, at uh, World Roaster Summit. And uh, we had to make up, you know, a, a kind of framework of parameters that we want to put into the research. And uh, I just made up this, uh, you know, uh, kind of gross uh, amount of uh, uh, parameter. And, um, and I wanted to, you know, describe the roast uh, profiles uh, in terms of these parameters. Because the idea is that, you know, you've got, just like the golden cup standard, you've got some, a, a range where you expect it to be nice. And then you've got some, you know, um, extremes that you don't expect to be nice. Science is not a very subtle um, methodology, of, uh, uh, unfortunately. So I, I felt we had to kind of start from the defect extremes in order to, to kind of uh, point in the direction of a sweet spot um, when it comes to roasting. So the idea is that you've got, you know, some extremes, some extremely dark roast, some extremely light, baked, scorched, and underdeveloped. So I tried to make sense of a, a kind of parameter space that was a clearly a defect space, and then uh, if it was not a defect, then it must be in an area where you could, you know, call it a sweet spot or something that could be called, uh, you know, a specialty level. So when you look at, um, when you feed uh, parameters into a research project like this, you have to be aware that if you work strictly scientifically, then the, um, the, uh, the parameters or the uh, descriptors in the, uh, that you use in the sensory uh, setup needs to be really, really uh, uh, specific descriptors. So um, in, uh, we wanted to uh, see if it made sense to talk about clean cup when it came to coffee roasting, just as it makes sense for some people to talk about clean cup when it comes to green coffee. Uh, but we are also aware that this is a very abstract, uh, you know, uh, sensory parameter. So it's very, very difficult to calibrate a panel to understand the same uh, with something as uh, complex or abstract as clean cup. So here you, you can see acidic, sweet, bitter, tobacco, licorice, roasted rye bread, hazelnut, peach. is very specific descriptors. And for these very specific descriptors, you can actually have specific references that you can calibrate your panel up against it becomes more and more difficult to calibrate a panel the more abstract the descriptor uh, that you use is. And for example, the SCAE uh, standard um, is uh, where you have got something like clean cup. You know, what does it mean? It, me it probably means something for a particular, you know, uh, uh, group of people, but it's very difficult to work with uh, sensorically. Um, so we wanted in this uh, project, um, uh, when it came to roasting defect, we wanted to introduce something that was not as abstract but a bit more abstract than really specific uh, references. So we, we chose complexity, harmonic, and balanced as something we hoped would be you know, clear enough for the panel to agree about. So, um, and this also comes in uh, to, you know, this is a real scientific um, uh, methodology, but notice here there's nothing about, there's no hedonic uh, parameters as it's called. There's nothing about which one is best um, because which one is best, as Patrick also mentioned, doesn't make sense outside a specific group of people uh, that it make you know that it makes sense uh, in relation to. So um, feeding uh, these different sensory panel uh, um, uh, parameters and then uh, into the project and then also feeding these different roast uh, uh, defects uh, into the uh, research project is kind of the basis of uh, of the results. So here you can see I made a reference curve. A reference curve was just, you know, I had to, you know, this is probably not the perfect curve, but I just uh, wanted to make something, you know, 
a, a, a profile that made sense at the same level as you know the 25 second rule of espresso brewing um, that uh, also correlates a bit to to golden cup something that was most roasters would probably you know uh, agree that this is definitely a, a better than the same profile roasted to Actron 45. And uh, whether this is a defect or not, I, I, I don't know. Uh, some roasters roast this, this light, but uh, this might make sense, uh, especially in the light of the consumer panel that we were also uh, planning to, uh, to expose these coffins to. So, um, and I tried to make some um, uh, uh, sense of uh, different types of defects in terms of the roast parameters that I uh, showed you before. So I thought, you know, a baked one, I defined it to be a roast profile that looked like the reference roast po profile up until first crack. After first crack, I wanted the color to be the same as the reference, but uh, the development time much longer. As you can see, the time to first crack is the same, nine minutes. Development time is six minutes rather than three minutes. Um, the underdeveloped is uh, the opposite, so you've got very long time to first crack, and then you've got only three minutes development time. And then the scorched one, you've just got you know, a very uh, short time to first crack and very uh, short development time. So I tried to make you know, a parameter space um, uh, where it was easy to tell people you know, what did I do and how did I interpret uh, a, a scorched, a baked and uh, underdeveloped. So these uh, roasts were done. And these are re the results uh, when it came to the uh, laboratory panel, exactly what, what, uh, what I showed you. We had 10 people from the professional panel at Food Science. They've got uh, a cohort of people that they actually, they've screened them to be very skilled, and then they uh, recruit them or pay them to, to do these data every time we have a project. And in the sensory um, uh, laboratory work, we added only complexity as a kind of what I would call meta descriptor, not a very specific descriptor than the others. And as you see, the normal, this is a PCA plot, and uh, it just uh, gives you an idea of what correlates when it comes to um, uh, the independent uh, parameter. That, that's the, you know, this is the cause. Um, the independent parameter in a research setup is the cause, and then the effect is, um, is uh, what you measure when you, when you taste it. So here can, you can see uh, what correlates when it comes to cause and effect. And it seems like the normal, uh, the reference rose profile came out with a higher score for complexity. And you can also see that some other yeah, positive descriptors like dark berries and acidity uh, correlates with the normal. So we also exposed this uh, to a um, consumer panel a consumer panel, we, we dared to put uh, all three uh, meta descriptors like pleasant, harmonic, and balanced. And as you can see, it also seems like uh, these correlate so that the normal rose profile or the reference pro pro uh, profile came out most pleasant, balanced, and harmonic. Um, so um, it, it seems like it makes sense to, to talk about a sweet spot when it comes to these uh, roasting defects. And as you can see, this is the hedonic. In, in a consumer study, you are allowed to ask which one do you prefer, or from a scale from uh, 0 to 10, how, how would you score this? But this, this only makes sense in the light of this specific uh, population answering this question. And that's probably one of the problems with the Golden Cup standard, that, you know, that you've got a technical definition of a parameter space with no you know, population reference. Who, who prefers this? You know? And that's why you can... You can brew completely different, and if, there's a, if people like it, you know, who is to say wh what is wrong or right? 
So I think it's very important that when we start to develop these standards, we are very aware that there's a big difference between a laboratory profiling where you're not allowed to use hedonic parameters versus consumer uh, 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 you know, projects where you get hedonic parameters and you get a result, but it's not something you can extrapolate that this is the right reference point. It's, it's right in terms of the specific people. Uh, and then the next question is, you know, looking at the, the, the kind of people that went into the study, then you can try and see, okay, we, we find similar people, it might, you know, be, uh, you might be able to extrapolate it. But, you know, for the project, it was just, you know, a very early attempt to even see if, it, if we could make sense of, of you know, roasting defects. Would it, would, it, would, we, would it make sense at all in terms of the data? And I would say it, it seems like it made sense that the, the normal one uh, was the most, as you saw, turned out best with the three uh, positive meta descriptors. But also, if they were asked, you know, how much did you like it? The normal also came out as, a, at the, most, as the most preferred for this population. So, um, yeah, that's the two sensory uh, projects. So, um, I'm on a very tight schedule, so I'll just... Uh, go directly to the next, and this is uh, the Cappuccino Foam Research Project um, that we started in 2009. It's completely different. Um, so, uh, I've been, uh, already in 2003, I was, uh, you know, told that nobody knows anything about milk in coffee. And then I contacted Richard Ibsen, the professor at Dairy Technology in Copenhagen, and then we started already, or was it 2004? I think it was, yeah, <laughs> 2004. Um, and this is the project that we got a, a funding for in 2009. And uh, the result is, you know, I, I just wanted to know, you know, how can we talk about quality in cappuccino foam? How can we do this scientifically? Foam is so difficult to work with in the lab because, you know, sometimes if you do uh, rheology or, or some other stuff where you look at consistency, you know, you scoop at some point. But, you know, but the point where you scoop, is that relevant to what people taste in the cup uh, at a cafe? So uh, foam, because it's such a, you know, um, a not stable phenomena, you have to, you know, there's a very explicit timeline on the quality aspect of it. So because when do you measure the quality? So I really wanted to look into the foam. So I de developed this uh, wooden box, as you can see, with a light source in one end and then a camera in the other end. And then I could pour the, the foam into the, this glass vessel and then the transmitted light was recorded by the, uh, by the camera. And um, as you can see, then the camera would be able to see the pouring of the foam. And then we took a 10 minute video. And every second during this video, we took one frame and then we made an average of this frame and collapsed it into one column. And then we built up a picture. So every column here represents the state of the foam at that particular second uh, where the frame was taken out of the video. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, so when you get, when you see, you saw how the bubbles, they, you know, you've seen a cappuccino or a cafe latte or whatever from, from the side, you can see the bubble go up. So the first thing you see is the bubbles, they, they'll go up and when the last bubble uh, reaches the foam, then you've got the maximum foam volume. And you can see here, this uh, part of the picture, represents the bubbles going up. And here you can see the last bubble uh, hit the, the, the bottom of the foam. And the weird thing is, from, this, from now on, the, the foam actually becomes um, smaller again. So it seems like there's a, when you see the full picture, these are the first one and a half minutes. 
And after one and a half minute, when the last drop uh, 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 bubble reaches the foam, then uh, the foam starts to become smaller. And it starts to become smaller because here the foam is very moist or wet. There's a big uh, distance between the bubbles because there's still milk between them. But gravity pulls the, the, the liquid, so the bubble starts to, uh, or the foam starts to drain. And when the foam starts to drain, the water uh, goes down to the liquid phase, and that, that pushes up the foam. So the foam becomes smaller and smaller. So you can see this represents what happens in you know, um, um, a latte or a cappuccino over time. So first, the foam is created uh, in the cup, actually, if it's, if it's done properly. And then the foam uh, becomes drier and drier over time. So this measurement method is able to, uh, to assess the state of the foam every second for 10 minutes. So what do we see? We saw uh, these features. You can see the, this is a power function we found out. So this is the upper power. That says something about the foam lost, right? The lower power says something about the drainage speed. Uh, the upper linear, this is the upper linear. You can see there's a feature here. And the lower, lower linear says something about the speed with which the bubble uh, goes up in the liquid. And then we found some, some sigmoidal uh, trend in here. And then we also have the specific foam height for this foam in this, the green uh, part of it. And the triple point is the time it takes for the last bubble to reach the foam. So the, the bigger the bubble, the quicker this will happen. The slower, the bub uh, slower it happens, um, it means that the uh, bubbles travel slower in the liquid. And then the bu bubble must have been smaller. So here you can actually indirectly compete, baristas can compete on bubble size. Because it's just to, to, to measure which barista was able to make a foam with the uh, most delayed triple point. But you could also you know, make a barista foam, the same foam, five times in a row, and then you could uh, calculate what's the variance between this barista's skills and always getting the same foam. So I hope this measurement method will you know, be standard equipment in, in future training centers, because now you've got an alternative to the teaspoon evaluation. You can actually see some really measurable things, such important things as consistency in foam uh, volume, but also uh, uh, bubble size. And this can, of course, also be used by dairies and uh, uh, fully, uh, uh, fully automatic machine manufacturers, um, or also manu manual. You know, what's the, what's the difference between different pressures, different angles, different hole size, uh, and stuff like that. We, uh, or I'll develop this measurement method in order to test uh, what is the relationship between protein content of the milk and the uh, foam quality. And uh, to make a uh, long story short, I can tell you that we tested 15 different uh, combinations of milk and protein. So you can see five different uh, fat levels, three different proteins levels, and that gives you a full factor, a design of 15 different combinations. And then we could see that, you know, we, we made the protein vary from 3 to 3.8 because that's the natural variation of protein in Danish milk. In milk, uh, the fat content is standardized, which means that every day, you know, they, uh, they, 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 uh, they actually make sure that it's exactly what it says on the bottle. But the protein is just, you know, uh, changing with the seasonal variation. So we wanted to know if there's a consistent, you know, difference in foam quality, depending on the, uh, uh, the range where the proteins vary just naturally. Um, and we saw, you know, this is another PCA plot, and here you can see a trend um, that it makes a difference. Um, we added all the features that I showed you before, all the trends in the picture. We added them into the uh, statistical analysis, and the question is, 
is the statistics able to uh, make groups that uh, has got a linear trend from low to high? And it seems like it does. Of course, fat makes a, a difference. That's trivial. But whether the protein also makes a difference, that was the big question. And we found that even you know, small differences from 3.4 3 to 3.8 made a consistent uh, difference uh, in the um, foam quality. And we could also see that the triple point was delayed. Uh, we did, uh, I did three different replicates of, the, uh, of, of all the 15 milks. So this is, uh, this is uh, the individual replicates. And you can see consistently that the triple point is delayed when the protein content is higher. So that was the main hypothesis we wanted to test. And it, we were lucky enough that the measurement method is actually able to document that this is true. So that, that this is uh, a big uh, you know, news value for the research. We could also see that systematically, you know, do you know that if there's a relationship between the fat content and the, uh, the, f uh, the foam amount? Uh, that this is something that people you know, have been talking uh, about for years, but we, uh, we uh, proved that yes, this is true. The higher the fat content, the lower the foam amount. Because we, could we can measure the exact uh, foam amount. And with the standard steaming procedure, there was no variance. And we could also see here that the statistics couldn't uh, see any difference between the, the three replicates which means that the standard steaming procedure is really good because there's no different every time you steam a milk you get a consistent result but you can also see systematically that the higher the, the fat content the, the the lower the foam amount and you can also see the higher the protein content the higher the foam amount now this is not a statistically significant um, uh, result but the pca plot that i showed you earlier shows the same trend so it's, it's, it, it seems like it's a trend that the higher the protein content, um, the, the higher the foam amount as, as well. And that makes sense because protein is what stabilizes the bubbles to create a foam in the first place. So the next question is, you know, so, okay, I've, I've said this for years, so it, I'm really happy that my data also supports it, you know, that fat creates less foam, but stabilizes the foam that was created. So you get less but more stable foam with higher fat. Because in this plot, you can see the foam lost. The foam lost, that's the upper power curve. And the drainage uh, is the lower power curve. So if you look at the upper power curve, um, you can see that the foam, uh, the foam lost um, is lower for a high uh, fat milk. So did you get the point that with higher fat, you get less foam? but the foam created is more stable than lower. So that's a kind of a paradox. But the data showed that. I'm done? Yeah, but I'm done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, this is uh, the conclusion. So yeah, the, the first conclusion is there's a huge sensory difference between different water used. It's not just a small thing that experts can taste. We've done this with the customers in Denmark, you know, and everybody unskilled can really taste this difference. And that also showed in our data that we got some amazing p-values. Uh, and that, that, that shows that that's a huge difference. But also that it makes sense to talk about a parameter uh, sweet spot for coffee roasting. I'm not saying, and Patrick would also hate me for saying that, that there's a perfect roast. There's no perfect roast. But at least you can make, you know, a parameter rate where you don't have defects. And that's, that, that's a start, at least for a certification system that needs to test people on, you know, defects. 
Um, yeah, milk with a higher protein content makes better foam. Milk with high fat content creates slightly less but slow drainage foam. I, I didn't want to make uh, it a more complicated conclusion than this because you know talking about three research projects in half an hour is not possible. So I just wanted to give you a really brief overview of three different research projects that we've done in SCAE uh, the last couple of years. Uh, so that you got an, a, a sense of um, um, uh, what is going on. And I hope that you feel that all three are relevant because all baristas, they talk about, you know, what's roasting and what's, you know, so, so I hope that this project you know, can add some content that can at least, you know, bring the certification system uh, further to be more evidence-based, um, but also, you know, provide something for the, uh, for the community to, to get some more, you know, data on what's actually going on when you play around with, with, uh, with mass data. Uh, and the milk uh, foam project, you know, uh, that's pretty spot on for, for this audience, isn't it? Uh, and I don't know if you could follow everything I said, but I hope that you agree that it's, it was ridiculous how much information we could drag out of, you know, just watching a foam from the side with a camera. But that's because, you know, the people in, in, uh, in, in, at the university in Copenhagen, they are extremely skilled with something called multivariate statistics. So you can just uh, th throw huge databases at them and then they'll, they'll tell you exactly what correlates and how much, and they, they can really do a big data mining. And that was needed for my cappuccino foam project because just fiddling around with a spreadsheet with all the data wouldn't have you know, got all this, uh, these results. All right, so uh, that was it. Definitely finish this time. Yeah, no, you're good. You did well. But why didn't you do three presentations instead? <laughs> yeah, oh, she's terrible. Yeah, she does that. Um, fantastic presentation. One question I've got before I throw it out there is, do you ever see like a, a, a latte, art throw, latte art competition where you actually put it in the box and just measure it and do it purely on statistics? I know it's not going to be very fun to watch. <laughs> Yeah, um, but you know, this could uh, provide a, a more uh, quantitative approach to barista training. Uh, and, you know, for what it's worth, you know, of course, you cannot, you know, just base a latte art competition on that. But, you know, I think it's, it's great to have an alternative to just a teaspoon method. And if, if you look at the barista training material the SCE uh, has done, you know, there are pictures. And th I think that's fine. You know, that's a great place to start. You know, uh, this form, where does that you know, uh, sit in the sequence of pictures, you know, in terms of quality. That's a great place to start. But, you know, I think this is uh, another level of, 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 of insight into the, to the foam. Uh, and because, you know, the certification system, to be good, it needs to be fair. And to be fair, it needs to be precise. So uh, all these things that we can do to, you know, support uh, the way things are tested, I think has got uh, a lot of value to, uh, yeah, to the community, but also the certification system. Certainly. Fantastic. Uh, I'm sure there's questions out there. Who'd like to start? Mark. It's going to be a short question one because you went too long. I did? Uh, yeah, like, thanks very much. Um, have you ever tested, uh, like put espresso in the glass vessel first and poured the foam on top to see? It's too, too complex. You can't do it? <laughs> you, could, you could do it, but you know, you have to start with the simplest possible system and you know, that was without coffee. But you know, of course, you know this is just the first attempt. Uh, so, so we, I just decided, you know, that that would be another source of variance. So, 
I didn't do that. And once we have these results, we can go on to the next uh, tests. And that would be adding coffee. And adding different coffee, you know, adding different roast degrees and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I think uh, we, like, yeah, a, a silly kind of pocket science thing was like a, a coffee with a higher acidity will create bubbles on the top of a cappuccino quicker. You know, it's like one of those things I'm like, that could probably yeah. answer that question uh, exactly. more it thoroughly. And then you could also see what happens in, in uh, deep in the foam yeah. when you when you when you vary the, the roast degree yeah, yeah. or the pH. I just wanted to know: Did you taste it? Was there different if, levels of? Taste? If I tasted it, uh, no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the surveillance camera. <laughs> no, um, that's another thing I want to do to have a sensory correlation because at the moment it's purely te technical. And I've also nailed what kind of research design, but you know, this kind of research is really expensive and time-consuming, so we haven't done it yet. But uh, that's the next thing uh, we want to do as well. There's a lot of next things I want to do. So, but this is one of them. Yeah. That's the thing with research; it just leads to a new place, to another yeah, place, to another place. Uh, time for one last question, and then we're going to have to wrap up. I'm going to go uh, to one of our speakers, um, Tim. Uh, so I've measured. Uh the weight before and after steaming. And uh, some machines will give you a lot more water in the milk than others, based on how much water, I guess, you have in the steam tank. Have you experimented with the different sort of uh, wetness of the steam and the quality of the foam? No, no, but that would be a, a perfect thing to, to test. Uh, because one thing is, you know, the weight after the foam, but the other, the next uh, more interesting question is, how does that uh, affect the overall all dynamics, such as draining speed, the bubble size, and stuff like that? So that would be really interesting, but no, no, we haven't done any of that yet. Uh, I'm sure you'll join me in putting your hands together one more time for Mr. Morton Munchow.